Welcome to Bloody Marys. This episode, we're reviewing St. Maud. I'm an uncanny wax rendering of Sean. Sean. <laughs> and I'm a haunted piggy in the window. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> we are two queer horror nerds uh, living together in Hackney. Our pronouns are they, them. Uh, a few content notes for this film. Uh, there is, will be mention of rape, self-harm, sex. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be some swearing and some spoilers. And this is a super new film as well, so yeah. beware of spoilers. So, St. Maud is a 2019 British psychological horror film uh, written and directed by Rose Glass. Um, which is an iconic name, uh, and it's her feature directorial debut. Um, the film had its world premiere in uh, Toronto International Film Festival actually on 8th September 2019, <laughs> so like a long time ago. Um, shortly after, um, A24, a distribution company who did Hereditary and Midsummer, amongst other things, um, acquired the rights for the US distribution, and UK distribution was Studio C Anal. Our favourites. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also screened at BFI London Film Festival on the 5th of October in 2019. Um, it's now finally been released on streaming sites as of uh, February 2021. Our, our present day. <laughs> welcome. Uh, welcome. Here Sim we are. <laughs> here, here we are indeed. Um, so Simba was partly filmed in Scarborough and about oh. 80 of the local people used as extras. Um, and the scenes filled in South Bay. Um, the movie's producers, Andrea Cornwell and Oliver Kassman, uh, said the setting for the film was always going to be a coastal town, which uh, does, to some extent, represent the characters being on the edge. I don't know what that means, but anyway. Um, Powerful. Ed, the edge of the sea. Um, uh, <laughs> lots of different towns are scouted, but Scarborough had the cinematic scale we felt would be fantastic on film. Um, Oliver being Scarborough. I haven't actually, have you? Yeah, it's nice. Oh, I was going to say, I wonder whether it's like kind of bleak. Um, yeah, it, it's bleak less, and nice. It is, but it's less bleak than some more northerly seaside <laughs> towns. Northerly bleakery. <laughs> um, and uh, Oliver went on to say, uh, we filmed a, ver- a variety of locations, but mostly on the seafront promenade. Um, there was a very dramatic final scene that we filmed on the beach itself a couple of days before Christmas. We all know what that scene was. We'll get to it when we get to the thing. Um, Rose Glass, who actually looks like a very cool babe that I want to know, um, attended a Catholic all-girls school. I say Rosebud. Rosebud. Direct. Stop! Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, not that. Um, uh, Rose Glass attended a Catholic all-girls school and said some of her interest in Christianity and Christian faith and some of the history and stories around it started there. Um, in an interview for Jezebel, she said, uh, Joan of Arc, um, this is sort of, I'm going to read it as she wrote it. So, Joan of Arc, actually, there are some psychologists that believe that she may have had this particular kind of temporal lobe epilepsy accompanied by this thing called um, ecstatic seizures which is a sort of seizure accompanied with a kind of vivid hallucination, but also kind of a euphoric, orgasmic kind of sense of inspiration and well-being and the divine. Um, there are some people who think that, that's, uh, that she was having these and that's where she was hearing God. 
Um, there's something real going on. It just depends on how you choose to categorize it. And we see that sort of played out in the film. Like the character mm-hmm. has those kind of, those moms, orgasmic moms. Yeah, um, also in Jezebel, uh, they asked her, do you think St. Maud is a horror film? Um, and she said, yeah, an odd one, I guess. <laughs> um, I didn't think of the movie as a horror initially when I was kind of conceiving the idea. A lot of the more extreme horror elements didn't come into the script until quite late. Um, in another interview for In News, uh, she mentions Misery was actually an early inspiration for the film. Mm. Um, apparently when she was 13, her, she was uh, determined that she would uh, end up working in film. And um, as a consequence, her dad gave her a copy of uh, David Lynch's A Razorhead, <laughs> um, uh, saying, I'd started making noises about being interested in making movies. And he said, this is the only film I ever walked out of in the cinema. And I didn't get it. But if you want to make films, maybe you'd like it. Um, she counts early Cronenberg horrors and Darren Aronofsky's Pie as influential. Um, they were the first things where I thought, maybe this is sort of my sort of cinema. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, <clears throat> the, the misery, uh, inspiration isn't evident, I wouldn't say. I'd say it isn't so much as he's trying to, like, with the, oh, I can't remember her name, I'll, be, I'll remind myself before we get into the main bit, but, um, the woman that she's caring for Amanda. is kind of, yeah, is kind of, like, she's trying to cut her off from people and she's, like, looking after her in a quite kind of, like, She's trying to chain, like, change her and sort of trap her a little bit. It's not doing a very good job, though. She no, knows. I know. So it's quite. <laughs> she, it's, she's uh, no Annie Wilkes. <laughs> there's no hobbling going on, um, but it, you know, it, you can see the hints of it. It's like mm. there a little bit. Um, uh, for bloody disgusting, the horror uh, blog, um, she said uh, to create the atmosphere. Um, in terms of visual language, tone and style, uh, she would look to films like Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby. Um, also, The Devils by Ken Russell, which I haven't seen, actually. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> apparently, the, her specific kneeling on grains of popcorn, but we thought were pebbles, scene, um, yeah. came from a BDSM website. Um, and she explained that there was this kind of self-bondage form where, uh, which was giving tips for little extra things you could do to make sessions a little bit more uncomfortable. It's, um, it's quite mild. I know. <laughs> Although you you like really winced at that. Bit. Oh, I just I think kneeling. Well, I would hurt kneeling on little popcorn kernels. Anyway, there's a lot not more. as painful as it would be kneeling on kernel mustard <laughs> <laughs> in the library with candles. Exactly. That sounds uncomfortable. <laughs> um, one of the weird credits that we noticed actually at the end that was uh, with the cockroach that's featured in the film is credited as called Nancy. Um, and it has kind of a funny backstory. Um, she said, um, I'd had this pretentious last minute idea to have a moth fluttering around a lamp. Um, so my line producer said they'd see what they could do. He came back to me and said he'd found an insect wrangler, wrangler, um, (laughs) who said there were no moths this time of year, but they had cockroaches and crickets. Great. Bring her in. Uh, (laughs) I selected Nancy, who was in a box with another cockroach named Sid. It was Sid and Nancy. Anyway, we tried some shots where Jennifer's talking to Morphid, who's uh, the actress who plays Maud, um, with Nancy crawling around on the pillow next to her. And the end didn't work. It looked like a half-baked idea, which it was. Um, we ended up cutting Nancy out, but then later on I realised I need a scene where God kind of appears to Maud later on, and we decided what form God would take. 
I knew exactly who to call. <laughs> oh, can I speak to Nancy? <laughs> I wonder if she's got an IMDb page. <laughs> um, <laughs> People who've searched for Nancy are also interested in Sid. <laughs> Whatever happened to Sid? Um, and uh, in the film, uh, God is actually voiced by uh, Morfid Clark, Maud, um, speaking in Welsh. Um, and it's pitched down a few levels, obviously, to make that kind of creepy mm. effect. Um, Wolfie can actually speak Welsh fluently, and maybe one of the reasons she was cast in the new Lord of the Rings series, because uh, apparently Elvish is very close to Welsh. Oh. Um, final naming trivia. Uh, Do you Mor- know who she's playing in Lord of the Rings? No idea, no. Um, uh, so final naming trivia. Maud apparently means powerful battler. Uh, and the hospital where she used to work uh, was named after St. Aphra, whose martyrdom echoes Maud's fate, um, in so much as apparently uh, St. Aphra was a uh, Christian and a pagan community of some sort, and she refused to denounce her Christianity, and they burnt her at the stake as a sacrifice to pagan gods. Ah, much like the <clears throat> Wicker Man. Yes, also a Wicker Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's all we have for this film. Fun. So we opened the film on kind of a... Well, it's quite kind of confusing. It's like body parts. It's kind of green lit and dark and dingy. And it sounds like zooms out. And it's like a hospital bed. And there's a nurse on the floor, kind of like who we figure out later is Maud, um, with blood all over her hands. And uh, and she's looking a bit sad. Mm, um, that bit reminds me a little bit of the first saw. You know, uh, like the room with the lighting. As yeah, well. it's like greeny sort of hospital lighting. Yeah, um, and she's looking a bit traumatized, and she's looking up, and she sees like Nancy, th- Nancy. <laughs> yeah, the cockroach <laughs> around in the roof tiles. She's like, "Hey, girl! <laughs> <laughs> Great to get to work with you finally. <laughs> finally made the cut." <laughs> Um, so then we cut to present day, I'm guessing, um, after that event, and it's a little, like, studio flat with, like, a kind of bed and a kitchen, all in one, just in one That's big room. That's very generous. Uh, I think it's a bed, bed set. set. That's what I mean. <laughs> That's what, what we call a, a penthouse. <laughs> a penthouse suite. <laughs> Where you can reach the refrigerator from your bed. Um, it's so, supposed to be... London really... estate agent's terms, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's supposed to be, like, really, really bleak, but I actually... She's making some sad looking soup. Um and it's bubbling away. Oh actually you see that at the very beginning and you it looks like blood, but it's actually her soup. Um and she's sort of having this internal monologue that runs throughout the film where you realise she's actually talking to God as well as sort of talking to herself and sort of making notes and stuff. So um, she reminds herself she's going to have to get up at 6am and uh, she she says she has a period, um, but she's taken two ibuprofen, um, so she'll be okay. Actually, um, I'd forgotten that what is her essentially narrating the film, kind of, Yeah, begins as a prayer. So it's almost like the whole thing is a prayer. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Um, it kind of, yeah, it, it, I feel like the whole, like, her talking to God sort of, like, um, 
over the film, like an narration style, kind of dies out towards the end of the film, actually, if I remember rightly. Well, I guess because she starts talking to him more directly. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so then we see her walking past a sign for something called uh, Coney Island, which we were like, oh my god, she's in New York. But no, it's uh, Scarborough. Um, and, <laughs> the Coney uh, Island. <laughs> um, and so it's a seaside town, and she, she's walking along, and she goes up to this grand-looking house. She rings on the bell, and um, there's another nurse, and she's sort of filling her in. She's like, oh, Her Majesty's in the other room there. And she's like, oh, how is she? And she's like, a bit of a cunt, actually. <laughs> um, and she leaves. Um, Maud then unpacks uh, in her little room, which has these little zigzaggy wallpaper. It's kind of Art Deco style, uh, retro. And she hangs a little crucifix on the wall. I remember at this point you were like, that better not turn upside down or I'll be sick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the tropes I don't tend to in horror films anymore. <laughs> Um, so she meets the patient and she's, uh, yes, obviously at this point that she's like a live-in carer, essentially. So she meets a patient whose name is Amanda Cole. Um, she has lymphoma, um, and she's telling us that through the, the way of talking to God again. Um, and, uh, she's looking through all her stuff and it turns out she used to be like a famous dancer. Um... So she then goes to, um, yeah, there's a scene where she's like giving, um, Amanda like, uh, like physio and a little, cr- her little crucifix pops out of her like blouse or whatever. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, the Amanda's like, Ooh, what's that? And taps on it. She's like, Oh, it's, um, uh, Mary Magdalene and the crucifix. And she was like, Oh, I didn't know you could get Mary Magdalene's. And she was like, Yeah, I got it from the internet. <laughs> So, alright. <laughs> so, oh, come on, come on, Amanda. Which, which saints did you think you could get next? <laughs> I'm an expert in this area, and I've never seen a Mary Magdalene. Very well. Um, so, yeah, so she's it's like, then there's like scenes, lots of scenes of like, Maud basically like pootling around, like looking through all of her stuff and looking through posters and things. Um, and then it's, we. It might be worth saying, it's actually quite a kind of sparse film. There's not a lot of action yeah, for most of it. That's true. And yeah, so then um, she she hears some kind of funky music playing and she goes in and Amanda's like putting on this kind of fun short wig. Um, and she's like, what do you think? Um, it's like, and, uh, <laughs> and that's their interaction. Um, and... Um, <laughs> So, yeah, she's just like, oh, yeah, no, so this guy arrives who's obviously, like, someone from her past, and he's, like, seems kind of flamboyant, he's like, oh, you're bitch, um, and, um, and she's leaving, Maud is leaving, and she's like, oh, we didn't scare you away, did we? Oh, and, yeah, um, so and he's Amanda's friend. Yeah, 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 and Maud's, like, tries to answer, he's like, no, it's okay, but he just walks past and doesn't give a shit, and she's like, oh, okay. So it looks like she doesn't really have any plans. She goes down to the seafront and yeah, she around. says she's going to meet a friend, but then she doesn't. Yeah, so she goes to the seaside. She goes to this weird little like um, kind of brightly lit cafe and just sort of sits by herself. And while she's there, she makes eye contact with a man who's adjusting his glass eye. Um, <laughs> um, so she gets a call from her lovely night out in the cafe. Um, saying she has to come home, uh, and uh, she, we don't know what's happened actually, but she she goes home and um, 
and uh, Richard is like having an argument with Amanda and um, saying she has to come back to London and she can't hide here forever and there's like a smashing glass and she opens the door and like Richard like leaves and uh, and yeah so then like um, she's looking a bit sad and she pukes everywhere <laughs> Amanda yeah, so basically he's he's he makes a joke about how she can't handle a drink anymore which is obviously because she's dying <laughs> yeah um, yeah so he's he's called her because she's not very well um and uh, at this point they have a little chat and Amanda's asking her how long she's worked in this kind of job and she said every year and she asked her if she's seen a lot of death and she said yes um and uh, she asked her why she le- left her last job which is the job at St. Afra's and she said uh, she just needed a change um and uh, it's what God wanted um, and she asked her whether that, then that meant she had quite a recent conversion. And she said, yeah, uh, I hear God's voice in and around me. Um, it's like a shiver or pulsing, warm and good. He's just there. Um, and uh, he says to Amanda, she says to Amanda, he sees you. He won't let you fall. Amanda says, my little saviour. Um, my little pony. My little pony. Skinny and bony. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she leaves the ra- uh, the room. And at this point, like, all the lights start kind of buzzing and sort of, like, flickering. And she's walking up the stairs and she's kind of, like, looking like she's having some kind of, like... You can't tell, but she's having some kind of funny turn. Um, but it looks kind of orgasmic and kind of, yeah, like kind of crazy she's like gripping on the wall like just kind of like and climbing the stairs and then like when she gets to the top of the stairs she like falls on the carpet on her back just kind of rolling around looking a little bit like cummy um and um and she's like rubbing her face and all that um when she goes back to her room she she puts out the <laughs> the popcorn <laughs> pebbles and um, <laughs> And kneels down in front of her little uh, her little shrine, a little crucifix. Um, we also, I, it might not be at this part, but throughout the film, we see little like scars on her body that show mm. that she like regularly self-flagellates. Yeah, yeah. On flagellations. <laughs> um, in the morning, uh, we see her like pouring away all of Amanda's booze, um, which I don't think she was asked to do. <laughs> um, and. Uh, <laughs> Um, and then all of a sudden she's like orgasming at the sink again in her special way. And at this point we start seeing something unusual where she, her mouth stretches like to a really weird kind of extra level of weird stretchiness. Yeah, but it's just a little flick. It's just a, a tiny little flicker of a moment though. It's, it's quite well done. Yeah. It's not like, um... Yeah, like you're like blinking, you miss it, but you can kind of tell something was a bit off. Yeah, it's, it's good. Um, but she gets interrupted by a knock at the door. Um, so I'm sorry, I can't come to the door. My mouth is big. I can't come to the door. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming in the kitchen. <laughs> that was good. Um, anyway, so um, so someone looks at the door, and she finishes coming at the sink, and she goes to answer it. And Her mouth will return to its normal size, a, a normal juncture, um, and um, and uh, and we meet Carol. Um, and Carol's like this kind of like really hot looking kind of cool person and um she comes in like Maud's all like fussing around being like it's too late visitors you can't come in um (laughs) um, and um yeah and then like uh, she's like oh no she's expecting me and she like 
uh, like goes in to see Amanda and Amanda's like, yes! And you hear them like giggling and laughing and partying and you see Maud in her room washing her face, um, looking a bit annoyed and it's a weird little like hint of blood in the water that sort of pours away, which is like a recurring motif. Mm. I don't know what it means though. Um, in the morning you see Carol leaving, um, and she's like counting like a big wad of cash in her hands. Um, after she's left, uh, she calls Maud in to join her, and um, she starts, uh, Maud starts praying over the food that they've got, and uh, she joins in. She's then, it's like she cuts the next scene, she's lying on her, Maud is lying on her bed, and at this point you see, like, uh, her vest is ridden up, and you see, like, scars all over her stomach. Um... Oh, next thing you know, Carol's back, isn't no, she? No, bloody Carol. Um, and Maud looks right fucked off. Right, oh, Maud <laughs> <laughs> <Maudanoid>. <laughs> <laughs> Um And uh, she's in the kitchen uh, with Maud and she opens champagne and it pops and fizzes all over the floor and like, Maud's like, <laughs> like, cleans it all up and... I was like, don't you worry, babes, I'll do it. And I was like, no, it's fine, I'll do it, I suppose. <laughs> um, and, um, and then, like, the same thing happens where you just, like, Moore's left outside while they're all having a lol fest. Um, and, um, yeah, in the mean, like, but also in the kitchen, she's, like, had received a gift from Amanda. Um, she starts, she opens, and it's a book of, uh, William Blake, um, like, illustrations, and it's all kind of, like, demons and angels, and she's, like, flicking through it really excitedly, looking at all the pictures, and it's got a little inscription to her that from Amanda, and she's like, oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> I love yeah. it, Babs, thanks. <laughs> um, at this point, she then goes and sneaks and has a look through the crevice in the door and sees them lezen off, um, and it's all, like, just stays for ages, just, like, watching Amanda. Amanda, and it's weird because like Amanda looks like like she's a little bit like distracted or like not that into it um, at that point when she's staring at her. But she, you know, all the other times she sounds like she's having a lol fest. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the morning, <laughs> there's a really funny bit. Are we, where... spo- are we supposed to read that Maud is jealous of this situation? I think it's like jealous, but also like she's she thinks that this is this is like uh, gonna damn her to hell essentially and she's trying to save her soul and she's being sort of like hedonistic and kind of like yeah lustful and she should try and prevent this activity um so in the morning there's a really cute little scene where like Maud's just like like perched at the top of the stair just like peeking around and like waiting for like ages and then Carol pops out of the room and she like like scurries down the stairs quickly to confront her <laughs> <laughs> um and she says like you tell her to back off and um and uh, she's like really like weird. She's like really trying to be like polite but confrontational. And she's like, "You'll notice I haven't used any swear words." <laughs> um, and she's like, like an angry child. Yeah. <laughs> I am very angry, but I haven't said any swears yet. I haven't done any bad words. Um, and she's like, "No hard feelings." Um, I'm sure you're great in bed, but I just don't think that you're right for her. I don't think you care about her as much as I do. Um, so uh, next thing we know. Um, Maud is out and about on the town again, um, walking around, and uh, she bumps into an old friend uh, who calls out to her by a different name, which is like Katie or Kate, I think. Um, and um, 
and uh, she's she's like, oh, I didn't know you were still around. I haven't seen you out and about in ages. Uh, you still around here? And she's like, oh yeah, um, like I'm doing like private kind of care at the moment. And she looks a bit shocked. Her friend, she's like, you still nursing? Do they know what happened? Um, and, uh, sort of inferring something horrible happened in the past that we don't know. Um, and, uh, she just kind of glosses over it. Um, and they, uh, carry on chatting a little bit. And, uh, I think, isn't it? Her name's Joy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And Joy's like, oh, here's my number. Like, we should really catch up. I'd love to, like, talk to you. And, like, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's hang out sometime. Also, Carol and Joy are very, like, um, Religious names, oh, yeah, um, a little on the nose, a little, a little, a little and on then, the... then she meets her friend Church Mouse and Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so back at the house, um, Maud is poofling around in the room, and um, Amanda gets a phone call and uh, says, "Oh, please leave me. Uh, I must take this call." She doesn't say that. I don't know why I said that in that weird, wistful way. <laughs> please leave me. I must take this call. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so then she, she goes, she leaves and, um, and she answers the phone and, um, and it sounds like basically she's had a sad chat and uh, it's probably, <laughs> probably that we know that it was, uh, Carol, uh, calling to sort of break it off basically on, on Maud's behest. Um, and, um, and so Maud goes back in and says, like, maybe we should go see a play or some theatre or something good. And, uh, and Amanda's like, no, I want to go to bed right now. And she's like, it's uh, so early though. She's like, no, bed now, don't argue with me. Um, so she takes her up for a lovely little bed bath. Um, not bed bath, but just a, a normal bath. Um, <laughs> a bath bath. A bath bath, uh, with water. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, uh, takes her to bed. So yeah, then, um, we're down in the kitchen and opens the argar. Um, the, I don't know what they call the little Arga hatch thing on the top for the frying. Arga <laughs> hat. The Arga hat, the metal Arga hat. Arga beret. It says, hello, lovely to meet you. It takes the hat <laughs> off. Um, and burns the back of her hand on the stove and sort of screams. But Intentionally. Looks like, yeah, and she looks like she's loving it. Um, she, uh, next thing we know, um, Amanda's got like a call and is very giddy. And, uh, and, uh, and it says to Maud, you'll have to go out and I'm, I'm, go- I'm going to, I need some things. I'm going to have a, a celebration later. And, uh, and she comes back. What is the celebration for? So it's her it's birthday. her birthday, oh. isn't it? Oh. Um, so she throws this lovely birthday party and everyone there looks like, uh, either like a lesbian or like a, a theatre lovey. Um, <laughs> everyone's quite kind of sort of cool, but in that way. Um, and um, next thing you know, stinking Carol turns up, doesn't no, she? Yeah, Carol. It's a lovely green sparkly top on, and Maud is not best pleased. Um, and uh, so Maud is like basically like catering the party, which doesn't really seem like part of her job description, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and um, and she brings out the birthday cake, and uh, and yeah, like Amanda blows it out, and while Maud is sort of in the room fussing around, um, she overhears uh, Amanda saying, "Maud doesn't like Carol. Um, we don't know if it's because she's a bigot or jealous." Um, and um, <laughs> so then, like, Maud's, like, really, like, Aah! and then their friends are really horrible, so Maud, they, like, basically put, like, a little, like, sheet over her head and a little gold ribbon and make her look like a little, like, 
little uh, nun or something, and they're like bullying her. Um, and um, I can't remember what, Carol, what Amanda says to her, but she's, she she provokes Maud, and uh, and Maud ends up slapping her around the chops. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what it is either, but it feels deserved. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's like a bitch to her, basically. Especially after she's made a lovely, a lovely dude. Yeah, she's put on a lovely spread. For yeah. Her, even though she is a nurse. <laughs> um, so then we cut to um, an office, and Maud is there with, we assume, a supervisor, and saying, uh, Miss Cole's expressed other concerns about you as well as the hitting... And um, that's all we see of it. Um, you know what I really, really hate about that scene? Yeah. Is it just, it strikes me as like a very, like A-level filmmaker thing to do, to just focus on someone's hand while they're clicking their pen. And it's like... I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, you don't see that woman's face. Oh. And it's also one of only two characters of colour, and you only see black hands. Um, oh. And it just really pissed me off, because it was like... Why don't you just show us the actress that's playing that? Like, yeah. It doesn't add anything apart from saying, look at me, I'm making an edgy film. Oh, fun. Yeah. Um, so fun diss. Um, Thank you. So, uh, back at her lovely bed set, um, uh, Maud is uh, uh, like unpacking and looks at all of her religious objets d'art one by one mm. as the camera pans around the room. Um, she prays to God. Mary Finalia. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, she prays to God, saying that she's in pain, and uh, she wonders if this is a lesson. Um, she starts. She undoes her bandage where she'd burnt her hand, and starts picking at the the kind of like the wound and kind of kind of like sort of satisfying but disgusting looking moan. Well, I actually think because you were a bit like blah, 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 about that, but I thought I didn't think it looked very good. I thought it looked like just peeling off glue. Yeah. Um, well, it, might, it might look like that in real life, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Anyway, we could, why don't you go and burn your hand? Okay, I, I'll just be be right, BRB listeners. <laughs> you don't forget to take the beret off the yaga. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was horrible. Uh, <laughs> just back from the burning. The uh, burns unit. Um, anyway, no, no, that didn't happen. Um, so <laughs> and we don't have an yaga. <laughs> we don't. We don't have an yaga, sadly. Um, so, um, so anyway, so she, she uh, decides to go to the pub. Um, she puts on a little sparkly top that sort of looks sort of a bit sad, but also like a party top. It's like, ugh. Um, and she's just sat by herself. It looks kind of like a working men's club. Yeah, I, th- I think with the way that she's dressed and the kind of the people that are there and the venue and the setting, they they, she, they go all in on the kind of, these are working class yeah, people. I just remembered as well the one thing she said about the film is that it's kind of like you don't know what era it's set, which is obviously quite a kind of fashionable thing at the moment. I don't think you can really actually. Um, anyway, um, and uh, so she's there. Mm, I like, mean, I, I didn't think it was. It, I didn't question it because I figured it could be modern day. Yeah, I think there was some kind of idea that it might be sixties. Um, anyway, um, I can't remember where I got that from. Uh, but anyway, so she's at the Worky Men's Club by herself in a sad little sparkly top with her pine. And um, she's checking out this guy who's like across the room. And um, <laughs> and they just like start making eye babies. And um, and then he's like jokes to his, like, his mate. He's like, oh yeah, look over there, she's 
fit or something. Um, next thing you know, she's in like a little stairwell or something, giving him a handy J. Um, and um, and uh, he like whimpers and comes and uh, he arrives. She, uh, he arrives at the destination, and uh, she just gets a little tissue, like wipes her hand off, and then goes back to her pint. Um, and uh, he goes back to his table, not looking at her. And uh, then they just both leave him and his friend. Uh, so she's alone again. Fun night out. Girls night out. Um, there's a really sad bit where she's like, there's this table of people who are like laughing and chatting. And she sort of tries to pretend to insinuate herself into the conversation by just like laughing yeah. and looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they all just stop and like look, look at her. Sadly. She's like, not you. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse not, me, not can you close your ears? This is not for you. Yes. Yeah, so, so yeah, so then she just looks sad again. Um, and, uh, she goes and gets some shots, um, and then she's just, like, wasted and alone, and she goes to the toilets and, uh, calls Joy, and it's like, oh, I was just out with some friends, and they're all leaving, and I wondered whether you wanted to come and join me, and, uh, Joy, it sounds like she's saying no, and she's like, oh, yeah, no worries, I guess, okay, fine, she, uh... She, actually, we hear, we hear Joy's voice, and she says something really dismissive, but I can't remember. Because at first she's like, oh yeah, I can't now, but, you know, it would be great another time. Another time, yeah. Um, but then there's something at the end that she says that is a bit, like, dismissive and patronising, but I can't really remember what it is. Yeah. And so she looks all fucked, um, and, uh, <laughs> she's like, she goes back, and she's, I think, she, like, yeah, that she basically goes back to the table and then, like, her beer starts, like, going into, like, this, like, whirlpool, essentially, mm. like, and, um, and then she looks around and then, like, at the other table next to her, all of the, all of their beers go into a whirlpool. And, um, and she jumps up from the table. I think she spills everyone's drinks as well at this point. Yeah, she kind of steps back and knocks into the table behind her. And then she bumps into this guy who's, like, got a whole drink and, like, pills spill down him and she's, he's like, I think you want me a drink. Uh, cut to them, then instantly fucking. Um, I think in his place. I don't know. I can't remember actually. Um, oh, it is his place. Um, and she's on top, and she's like, uh, she's riding him, and uh, she's got her hands on his chest, like it's in the kind of compression, like if he was like, like she was giving him like heart compressions essentially. And as she's fucking, and then all of a sudden, it looks like. Uh, her hands just burst through his chest. And yeah, and she has, a, like, a little bit of a flashback to the moment of her trying to give the woman at the beginning CPR. Yeah, and, um, and yeah, like, she's, like, it's all blood everywhere, and she, like, screams. Um, and uh, she then gets off him, and he's, like, for a split second, like, oh, you okay? Um, and she looks very upset at this point. He then continues to... To, to to fuck her. Yeah. I, it, at that point, I was like, oh, he's really sweet. Because he was asking if she's all right. And I was like, oh, no, raping. Okay, fine. Yeah. We can't have one nice man. <laughs> no. Um, she eventually gets up, stumbles around, looks sad. And uh, she's talking to God again. She says, I did everything. Um, I thought I did what you wanted me to. Please uh, guide me. 
Um, <laughs> she, she, she's back at the bedside and she does this amazing projectile vomit, uh, just as there's a huge fireworks display. <laughs> I quite like that bit. I don't know why. I think I thought it was quite kind of like fun for some reason. Yeah, I like uh, the vomit. Yeah, um, it was just the combination of her vomiting with kind of like fireworks outside. Um, and uh, she... vomit is the fireworks of the mouth. Yeah, fireworks is the vomit of the sky. Oh my goodness, <laughs> profound. Um, and uh, so then, at this point, she falls to the, gr- the ground. It's like she's having a seizure. And uh, then she suddenly just, like, on her back, just floats up in the air. And, like, um, it's just sort of levitating in the middle of the room. Yeah. Um, in the morning, it's all sunny and lovely. And she's just cleaning everything up and making everything look lovely. Um, and uh, she thinks to herself, revelation and just in time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, she burns her, her, her party top. <laughs> In the yes. sink, um, and um, she makes these horrible little insoles for her shoes. Do you remember? Oh uh, yes, little little <laughs> Mary insoles, little card Mary with um, little needles, drawing like drawing pins, like pushed through. Yeah. She then puts into her shoe and steps into, and um, sort of does kind of screamy squelch. Yeah. Um, and then she goes walk. She goes out in her yeah. shoes. It really reminded me of the bit in um, Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion when. Uh. <laughs> trying to get away it's just like would you excuse me I cut my foot before and my shoe is filling up with blood <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah she does like squelch around in pain in town for a while looking really haunted um, what she... these are, are you wearing the squelchy flag <laughs> <and apron shoes? laughs> um, oh actually at this point she's like she gets I don't know where she is actually but she's like googling Amanda um like to look up like things about her and um and uh ah, yes. so Google from, from the sixties, yeah. yeah. Um, I've I've intentionally left it very ambiguous as yeah. to when this was ah! <laughs> I, know, I just thought that so I was like, Oh that's okay though. Um, I literally don't remember the Googling scene. Uh so she and um she's looking at pictures of her and she's like she thinks to herself, what a god maybe, I should have expected resistance. Um, and she stalks uh, her new carer, <laughs> um, uh, and she like goes to the seaside to go and meet her. Um, and the carer, her new carer, we meet her, and she's called Esther. She's eating a little sad sandwich out of tinfoil um, on a bench, and um, and yeah. So then she's like, they're just having a lovely little chat, but I think Maud's trying to pry into whether like basically to try and find more information, and Esther's just like too sweet and it's a bit like no I can't share and um and sort of confides in her that she hasn't got much longer left to live essentially um and uh Maud just suddenly leaves the conversation and runs off um this point we cut to her late in the night and she hears this kind of like insane voice talking to her in a foreign language which we now know to be Welsh (laughs) could you call Welsh foreign it's like if it's I don't know um and uh, obviously we see the translations um, and um, it's saying, take on this last test and we'll be together truly. Um, and she asks, how will I know what to do? And it says, you always know. But it's more like, you love <laughs> In Welsh. In Welsh. <laughs> Poppity ping. Um, <laughs> 
Um, in the morning, you've always know it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I should have no been the voice of God. <laughs> Camp Welsh God. <laughs> you've always known it, Um. Uh, anyway, um. So uh, in the morning, she uh, sort of drapes herself in this bed sheet. Um. And it sort of makes this kind of like robe effect, like she's wearing it, and um, and she's like doing something weird with like hydrogen peroxide and acetone. Like you see these containers, um, and um, you don't really know what it's about at this juncture. Do we at any juncture? Well, I think we know at the end what the acetone is for. I don't know what the hydrogen peroxide is for. Anyway, um, what was it normally used for? What is it? Acetone is an alcohol, so that's like flammable. Um, hydrogen peroxide is like a is like an acid that's for cleaning, and also you can bleach your hair with peroxide. Um, so I don't know, like it's also a cleaning product. So I don't really, yeah, I don't know. So at this point, uh, while she's having this weird little moan with the acetone and the hydrogen peroxide in the sheet, um, her friend Join uh, knocks on the door. And um, and she just like sort of lets herself in, um, even though like, Maud's like, this isn't a good time. And she's like, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, blah, oh, what a lovely place. I love so all these things. Uh, she's also there to apologise for not meeting her and for being a bit rude on the phone. Yeah. Um, and, but she's just generally like wittering on like loads of nonsense and just like, looking at all of her little trinkets. Like, oh, this is nice. And this lovely little room. It's nice. Blah, I think blah, that's blah, how blah, I'd blah. be. <laughs> Ooh, I love this little Mary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> slipping her into my pocket. <laughs> And yeah, this is, she calls her Katie again at this point, so that's obviously what her name was before her religious conversion. Um, and she's like, um, she talks about a new job, and she's just like, I'm sure you're doing a great job at your new place. Um, and what what happened wasn't your fault. Um, we should have seen it coming. Um, and uh, it seemed like you were struggling for a while. And at this point, uh, like, Maud's like, anyway, okay, goodbye, get out, get out, get so, out. Did- do you understand what happened? Um, I no, I, I'm guessing that she like did like she snapped in some way or had some kind of nervous break and accidentally killed one of the patients at St. Alfred's. Yeah, so I, I'm pleased you don't know because neither do I, and I thought I might miss something. No, but, um, like like the Google bit. But, um, <laughs> so what I think it's suggested that happens is that she was trying to resuscitate her, but she did it too hard. hard. And, like, it's quite common to break someone's ribs while you're yeah. doing a compression. Especially if it's, like, a, yeah. Like but a... when we saw, we saw her covered in blood, and when she had the flashback when she was shagging that guy, she Pushed was all the way through into him. the chest. Yeah, so maybe something like that Yeah, happens. I suppose it was, like, an older and firm person. Maybe the bones are a bit weaker. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah. But the one thing that makes me think that that's not what happened is that them saying that we knew we shouldn't have left you with her or something. Yeah, and that you, we could see you were struggling. Oh, um, so maybe she was just not mentally well, so they... She took it too far with all that. Oh, no, so she... Well, I would say that means maybe that she... Because they knew her not to be mentally very well, she shouldn't have been left in some oh, charge of, of, of someone who was yeah. about to die. Yeah. <laughs> um... So after she leaves, um, she kicks her out. Um, the clouds start swirling out. Like, <laughs> I really like that she's just like she's like she she just opens the door and stands there waiting for it to leave. <laughs> and she's like, 
She looks at her watch and she's like, oh, actually, I must go. And oh, yeah. Like, well, yes, you must, because you're being very blatantly <laughs> asked to being go. You're evicted. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, she, she sees the sort of swirling of the sky like she did when with the pints. Um, and um, and I think she hears the voice of God at this point. says, like, may the Lord bless and keep you, Joy. Oh, no, that's what she says to Joy. Yeah, and she, she like, does. kisses, like, holds her face. Oh, yeah. And, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and Joy goes... You what? <laughs> <laughs> Which again is what I would do. I I I feel like I have a kindred spirit in joy. <laughs> Enjoy. Um, so uh, so then it comes to the night, and uh, she's left the house in her lovely sheet ensemble, um, and we see the moon, and it's like giant in the sky, like humongous for some reason. Yeah, it's almost. It looks like a setting sun because it's like partially like. In the sea. Yeah, and it's like weirdly huge. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of, um, you've seen Melancholia. Oh, yeah. When, yeah. Do you hate that? I do hate do it. Oh. Everyone loves it except for me. Oh, you're, you're so edgy. I weird. know, it's just like what I choose because I just really <laughs> like to be out there. Um, anyway, uh, so she heads to Alice's house in the night in her lovely sheet robe. Um, and she, uh, uh, secretes herself in the bushes, um, by the house and is doing little prayers. Um, we see Esther, the other nurse who's taken over caring, leave for the evening. Um, she also doesn't stay alone. She, she's, she's been burnt by <laughs> previous attempts. Um, and, um, she, um, she sneaks into the house. Um, and it's really dark and, uh, she opens the door and finds Alice in bed asleep. Oh, not Alice, Amanda, sorry. Um, she... Uh, <laughs> who's, who's Alice? Who the, the fuck, fuck is Alice? Alice? <laughs> um, and then there's another person called Alice. Uh, no. Um, and, uh, and, uh, Amanda wakes up and she's like... Surprisingly, not like startled. She like well, it becomes less surprising when we see what happens. Yeah, next. yeah. She's like, but she apologised. She says, "I apologise for being unkind." And then, like, they just have a little sweet chat, and like, and uh, Maud's like, "Oh, God has forgiven you," and um, and at, at this point, she tries to bless her with the water out of the bottle, but I'm wondering because it makes a hissing noise. Like, I wonder it whether the, like, it's bleach? the at the bleach. Um, I thought that. Uh, but then it doesn't... Well, I mean, all of this bit... Basically, from here on out, it gets pure chaos. Um, and none of it makes sense. So either it's acid or it's holy water. And, and Amanda is the devil. Yes. Um, so so then it's like... But it still seems sweet for a while. She's like, you must... And then all of a sudden she says, like, you must be the loneliest girl I've ever seen. And then she's like, he isn't real, you know. And, um, and, uh, like, Maud's like, no, but, but on the, on the sofa, you were, you were having the same kind of, uh, orgasm God experience as me. And she's like, I faked it. Um. <laughs> if there's anything a woman knows how to do, it's fake an orgasm. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, like, Amanda starts carrying it, like, really hard on Maud. It's like, nothing you do matters. God doesn't exist. He's dead and all this stuff. And, um, and at this point, Amanda's face, like, basically turns demonic, and she gets, like, these kind of black veins running through her face, and, like, her, like, balding head looks even more kind of severe and weird, and, um, and she throws Maud across the room in some sort of supernatural power way. Um, 
And Maud smashes into some furniture. Um, Maud then recovers herself, uh, has a lovely pair of ornate scissors, actually, um, which she then runs to the bed, and um, while the yeah, Amanda's like screaming, like and being all demonic and weird, and um, Maud just basically stabs her to death uh, quite swiftly. It's, it's sort of quite kind of like weirdly unclimatic. It's just like, oh, okay, she's dead. Um, and um, and then yeah, she just leaves, and um, and you see, I, I quite like this bit actually. Like it looks like you see, she's sort of like from from below, and she's covered in blood, and sort of in a kind of like way that like a saint or like um, or like even like Harry or something like that kind of style of like blood dripping everywhere, but in quite a kind of beautiful way. Saint 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 Carrie of Caddington, <laughs> um, and um, and yeah, she's kind of like gliding along. She looks kind of kind of ecstatic, like she's done like. God's work, essentially. Um, you did it beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what's that from? <laughs> the Wicker Man. Oh, yes. Uh, anyway, um, so in the morning, it's like she's woken up and she's just acting like everything's fine. Um, but all of a sudden, she has this like glowing pair of like golden CGI wings, <laughs> which I wasn't a huge fan of, to be honest. I thought it looked a bit cheesy. I, I actually really liked that and the whole ending. Oh, because, really? Yeah, because for me it was the first bit where it was just like, okay, this is like a fucked up film, as opposed to just being like, oh, is it about trauma? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I just I didn't like the way they looked. They were a bit like computer gamey or something. They, um, they, they did the first... Yeah, they did. Yeah. But um, when we see them later... I think it it looked like a sort of like a, a painting of an angel, yeah. so it kind of worked a bit better. Yeah. Anyway, so um, she goes out and she walks along the seafront, and I guess must, I must be a new robe, um, and that she, she looks like destroyed, like she has like the darker circles in her eyes, and she's like carrying this little carrier bag, and she goes down Same. to the <laughs> circle under my eyes and, yeah, and carry it every day. I just, I just walk day. around the house with a carrier bag <laughs> trailing behind me with my big dark yeah, okay, circle. I can attest that is true. Um, and um, she's going down towards the seafront and like some people are giving her sort of like double takes like Ugh? um and uh, the clouds start sort of swirling and um, she's singing this kind of like wispy song and you can't really hear what it is. She's like Oh yes, no I know what it is. Oh really? It's, yeah and it's because it it's also used at the in the finale of the first series of uh, Orange is the New Black. Oh. Uh, how does it go? I saw the light. That one. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, good on you for hearing that. Thank you. Um, it's, it's interesting, actually, as I'm partially deaf. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, she goes down singing a little wispy song from Orange is the New Black. And um, and uh, she gets out uh, a bottle of liquid and just like pours it all over herself. Um, and you the hear, acetone. yeah, I'm guessing. Anyway, um, and um, and she has a lighter in her other hand, and you hear like a woman saying, "Somebody stop her!" But in quite a kind of muffled, distant way, because she's quite kind of, it's kind of focused on her and her experiencing what's happening. Um, and it goes silent, and you see it pans out to the beach. It's kind of kind of, kind of cool the scene actually, where like everyone is still and just staring at her, and um, everything goes silent, and then everyone's like waiting, and then um, and then she says, "Glory to God," um, and sets herself on fire. 
And then at this point, everyone drops to their knees, um, looking like she's sort of like, and it looks kind of angelic and beautiful, like it's kind of like a kind of like heavenly moment. Um, but then seconds before the film ends, it cuts to like what's actually what's happening, actually happening which <laughs> is her screaming and like burning agony essentially. Yeah. But it's a very split second yeah. moment, um, which I thought was really really cool. Yeah, actually. you could feasibly miss that, and it kind of, it, I think that's the moment where. Basically, I feel like the whole kind of last arc of this... I mean, the, the whole film is like... She's she's obviously deeply traumatised. And maybe now that we've heard what Rose Bud said, she um, she might also be epileptic. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. is this how she's processing her trauma? Yeah. Or is she actually... Has, is she, like, had been, like, kind of tasked by God? And um, is Amanda actually possessed? And, yeah. And but I then think... that last... That tiny little flicker at the end is like... Oh no, she set herself on fire. She thinks she's an angel. Well, else. but also, I mean, like, it's the same way, like, basically, the sort of thing that um, Rose had said in the interview is that it's all about, like, how you perceive things and how you interpret them, because it still could be that, like, even though it is agonizing pain, that it is, like, a heavenly thing, and that she has been speaking to God, and this all was God's plan. Um, and that's kind of the point. It's, like, kind of a, a kind of exploration into faith, I guess, and kind right, of like. Sister Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in God. I, 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 I meant to say, Alex, not sister, but I do see more of a nun figure. Than thank you, thank you. Um, I, th- I think the film would have been better if, when she was burning, she went, Balenciaga! <laughs> Let's talk about Saint representation. <laughs> shall we start with women? Women. So I noticed in this film that, and it makes more sense now that I know it's directed by a woman, but it's mainly women. I don't think there are any named men in it. Yeah. Well, there is. There's Richard. Richard. <laughs> Richard's her friend who pops around. Oh, yeah. Richard. Richard. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, um, but yeah, the men are like minor characters. It's all about the women's. Yes. And I think we get a smorgasbord of women. We do, actually. Um, it's interesting, actually. There's something that I, that I didn't talk about in the intro, is that um, uh, uh, Rose is uh, quite kind of, like, defiantly talking, talks about how she doesn't want to be talked about as a woman director, and she just wants to be treated as a director. I always find that kind of narrative a bit boring. I kind of understand it from both sides, but... It just it, it's strange because in a way this is a film very much about women and it, it's it, it makes sense that it's told and written by a woman. Yeah, and also I think unfortunately being a woman director is still significant because they're so underrepresented. Yeah, that I think I mean she can do what she wants. Not yeah, <laughs> but I also think like if I was a filmmaker, I would want to be known as like a queer non-binary film yeah 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 because i can't produce anything that isn't inherently queer because of who i am like it not to lean too heavily into identity politics but i feel like it's yeah it informs my sensibility it informs my worldview it informs my taste yeah and it's quite obvious that it's informed her story writing in this case um but yeah um but yeah, the, the yeah the, the women characters are all kind of different. Characteresses. Characteresses. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should just call them characters. <laughs> I just want them to be the lady characters. characters. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yeah, like, and I definitely passed the Bachelor style test because they're, they're just just chatting on. Um, it's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think um, it's interesting with this film because I, I so no, I think normally when we if we were watching a film together that we wouldn't that we weren't reviewing, we'd talk about it immediately afterwards. Whereas we tend not to do that when we've watched a film that we know we're going to review. That's true. So we kind of say it to this, and I think sometimes the process of unpicking a film after seeing it is what strengthens your enjoyment or appreciation of it. And I think Agreed. that's definitely happened with this film because I was left feeling a little bit cold. Yeah. But, but having heard you recap it and kind of, and having to kind of think about it a bit more deeply then I think it was very interesting, if not brilliant. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I, the, uh, and the more I think about it, cause I found it very difficult to like any of the characters and I always find it very difficult to get into something when I don't find anyone particularly likable, especially if I don't understand their motivations. Yeah. But now I do a little bit better. Yeah. And also, it's difficult to dislike Maud slash Katie because yeah, yeah. she is a troubled woman um, who's desperately seeking some sort of higher meaning. Yeah, and at the, at the beginning she seems very kind of like harmless um, and very kind of, just kind of sweet and a little bit medley, but not in a kind of malicious yeah, way. Yeah, more of a sort of like naive sort of mormon sort yeah, of Yeah, yeah. Like, leave my Amanda alone! <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, I just, like, I just see, like, and I think there was like, I don't know, there's kind of like a war- sort of weird warmth to her and her affection towards Amanda and, and the kind of like like the bit where she gets the book and she's like over the moon and she's just yeah. like loves it. And I think it becomes that weird relationship she has with Amanda becomes a bit makes more sense when you see how when she kind of reverts to her old self of her sort of head and hedonism. Yeah. Hedonism. <laughs> she um it becomes clear that she's like desperate to be like loved and needed. Yeah, so I think there are um there's enough of a range of different kinds of women for it to feel like they're well represented. Like we see two very, like I, I think the the character that I kind of warmed to the most was Joy, even though she's not in it very much. <laughs> Joy is funny because she had a sort of like a meddling warmth to her, um, even though she was a bit kind of taken aback when she first saw her at the beginning. But the um, yeah, I think I think in a way Joy is quite kind of a plot device essentially because like really what she does is just brings in a little bit of like. Oh, you're still nursing after what happened. Um, she does add a little fun though, like with a little visit. That's yeah. like a really funny scene. And also, she like she's super compassionate, and she. I don't think many other people show a lot of compassion to Maud. And she. That's true. She she she's dis she's dismissive of her on the phone, but then she comes to kind of make amends and check in on her. And she, yeah, I think there's like a loveliness about her. That's true, yeah. She goes out of her way. It's not like she's just being nosy. She just come around to just check in on her and say that she yeah. sounded a bit sort of strange. And... I think the woman that's more of a plot device is Esther, the new nurse. Right, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> she's like, I'm the ideal perfect nurse. Yeah. And I really she's love like Mary Poppins or something. She loves me. And I'm yeah. just sitting by the sea being angelic. <laughs> we are best friends. Yeah. New best friends. And I think the way that um, that Maud like storms off is because she's jealous of that relationship that she's managed to have with Amanda that she's kind of failed on. And I think she sees it as a failure of her, her own. It was really funny because I really was sort of uh, imagining a kind of hilarious horror way that she'd push her in the sea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sadly, she didn't. She's like, plop! <laughs> no more best friend for you! <laughs> um, but yeah, I like I like more than it. Yeah, I think... Um, 
I think Amanda's obviously, yeah, like, complex and kind of troubled and, like, fun. Yeah, yeah I, I guess kind of the archetype that, um, that Carol is playing is almost like... Um, sort of hagsploitation-y where she, for like the modern day, where she's like the kind of the older faded star who's withering away that can't, like literally in this uh, in this case, who can't... Um, you said Carol, I think. <laughs> Carol. I meant Amanda. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do it in me. She, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's like trying to hang on to that sort of like that lifestyle that she once had that she can't have anymore because of her health. Yeah. Um... I guess actually Carol's character isn't really very well fleshed out, which is, um, if you think about it, I don't really know how much she really brings to it, except for just kind of like to antagonize Maud. Yeah. <laughs> um, and sort of like just be a party girl. But I mean, like, I don't know. It's, and obviously it's unusual because you can't really tell whether it's sex work or whether she's supplying drugs or if it's both or. I like, think it's sex work, but yeah. <clears throat> maybe that leads us on nicely to race because yeah. Carol is mixed race. Yes. Um, and is the only named character who is not white. Yes. And uh, obviously we see some black hands mysteriously floating around in an office, <laughs> clicking away at a pen. Um, but yeah, Carol's character isn't very well rounded. Um, she is a lesbian or bisexual. She is a sex worker, from what we can gather. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's, but it's sort of strange, but yeah, because it, I mean, she definitely is, but then it also seems like she's known her for a while. And they say, actually, they say they meet on the internet. She says they met on the internet, didn't they? Which yeah, another, she seems a bit shady about it. Like yeah. She kind of another stops reason. Carol from saying what. Yes, the the nineteen sixties. Yeah, I was going to say like, damn, I don't know where I read that. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, so a lot of the characters actually aren't really defined outside of Maud's interaction with them. Um, so it's not unique necessarily to her um, that she's sort of a little bit flat and two dimensional because like it feels like we're very much in Maud's world and everyone else is sort of a player in it. Um, yeah, I mean, defined by their relationship to Maud, but also to Amanda to an extent, which yes. informs that relationship. Yeah, and, and I guess in that sense, Carol's role is to be a figure of jealousy and also a figure of the hedonistic lifestyle that yeah. is familiar to Maud that she wants to escape and to remove Amanda from. And I guess also maybe it's just like sin, like she's sort of maybe the devil on Amanda's shoulder, um, yeah. like trying to like lure her back into sort of like damnation. And if, and if that reading is true, then it's a shame that it's the only person. That's of colour, yeah. I thought that <laughs> Apart was from saying, the disembodied yeah. black hands floating around the office. <laughs> Scolding her, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, so I mean, it's not. Um, yeah, it, it's not... It's not like an empowering representation, no. Um, no. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, the... What other things? Disability, I guess, like... Um, well, I have some thoughts about disability. Go on. Um, we see two overt examples of disability and sure. one potential. Um, and two of them are just, like, very, like, background extra characters. Mm. So one of the... When she goes into the cafe, on the way in, she sees a homeless man. She gives him some money and says a little prayer for him. And oh, yeah. he's got ticks. It looks like he has Tourette's. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot. I didn't think I talked about him. And then when she's in the cafe, she sees a man like moving his false eye around. Yeah. And it's around about this time that she's 
in her voiceover to God is talking about like a town like this. I didn't think I'd end up in a town like this with some sort of repulsion. Yeah. As if those like figures of like um solid figures. Yeah, of some sort yeah. of like depressed kind of region. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, well actually people with disabilities exist everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um so I was a little bit uncomfortable. And I th- and the eye thing was supposed to be like kind of a horror moment. I yeah, think. like gross out. Yeah. Which is a bit strange, yeah. Yeah. And then the and the Tourette's was like a symbol of like her showing pity on someone. So I think that was kind of a bit cringy, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But the other one, and again, this is one of those where I don't really know if it would be classed as disability, but probably yes, is epilepsy. Yeah. Um, if she has epilepsy. Um, yeah. And I mean, like, obviously we, could, we don't know. Um, it could be that she's talking to God. Well, this is the thing. Um, or like, and also that, yeah, because she has that seizure before she levitates as well. Um and actually, that's around the time she sees the fireworks, and fireworks could call that, cause epilepsy. Maybe that's related. Actually, mm-hmm. it's just occurred to me. Um, but yeah, um, do you? Do you? I guess you classify having a terminal illness as a disability. I th- I think you would, as long as it's impacting on how, yeah. your ability to like care for yourself. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, that we have Amanda in that case. Yeah. Um, like and then she's the devil. <laughs> she's the devil, <laughs> and she gets brutally killed. <laughs> yes. um, um. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think I can't think of any examples of this trope, but I think there is a trope of people who are close to death in some way being close to God, um, and being kind of like wise and serene, and I I don't know, and I think. We don't get that with her, which is neither here nor there. But she, she's like resisting. But also, I feel like she, she wants to be saved, doesn't she? That's kind of why she wants more. Or at least that's yeah, what it I seems don't know because like. I mean, like she kind of insinuates when she goes into devil mode that um, that she was just playing with her and just because she's been bored, like dying is boring, and she wants to sort of just take the piss essentially. Yeah, that is pretty boring. Yeah, um, but. Um, but, you know, all that bit is so surreal, you can't tell whether it's meant to be the devil mm. speaking, whether it's actually meant to be her. And, you know, she calls her a little saviour. And I don't know, there is a little bit of a kind of coy smile on her face when she's sort of mimicking Maud's sort of, like, orgasm yeah. moment with the, the, her experience with God. Um, and it's kind of interesting as well, the kind of idea that... Um, that Maud is trying to save her from her sinful ways. And I, I think it's interesting that she addresses the the moment about her hating Carol and whether it's about bigotry, i.e. she hates Well, scares. shall we move on to queers? Yes, actually, <laughs> yes. Um, it's it's weird because it, it, it doesn't... It doesn't it, it, it has queer representation, but it sort of doesn't feel very queer this film to me for some reason. No, well, I mean, I, th- I think this is... And this is perhaps where others might disagree, but I, I mean, there's lesbian representation. I don't think it's very queer. Yeah. But the um, one thing that I really, really dislike is... Um, I feel like it's lazy, and I think Carol is a lazy character, to make uh, um, to make lesbian sex and sex work the embodiment of hedonism. Um, yeah, I like think indulgence. Yeah, and I, yeah. Think, I think it's lazy. I think there could have been a cleverer way of showing that she is... Because I think that part of it was that, in general, we were supposed to think that she was a bit of a bohemian with all of her sort of stupid friends. And <laughs> stupid you know, friends. Uh, constantly smoking a cigarette. She was, you know, obviously a heavy drinker. Yeah. And 
you know, had a beautiful young sex worker who would come round and yeah. cunnyling her. <laughs> <laughs> but if if that is a way of just, it, it, I don't know, it's a bit, for a film that's otherwise quite kind of like, um, it's not a subtle film, but it kind of, it obscures its meaning enough for it to be like a head scratcher. Yeah. I think that's a little bit too on the nose. Um, yeah, it's funny though, because um, I think that it's obviously, yeah, it's, I always, I always hate the way in films, um, it's kind of like the kind of puritanical nature of like people getting their comeuppance if they're too indulgent and things like that and like getting, and I think this is sort of an example of that, which is obviously her life has been too rich and too wonderful and indulgent and hedonistic and she's getting her comeuppance by dying of like a terminal illness now, um, but she's holding on to the remnants of it and it's sort of, and it's, I don't, I think it's a good thing, like I would be like that, I hope, <laughs> like I, I would want to be living out the rest of my, my life same. as sort I, of part. When I, just, um, like, having sex if, and just if I, if I, drugs. If, if I was <laughs> diagnosed with something terrible, I would take every drug that was ever invented. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a sad, and, but it's kind of like, it's a, it's a trope in films that people like that are sort of demonised, so literally in this case demonised. Um, um, and a scene of like, it's, it's the dark side and you should be turning to, to God or a more kind of pure way of living towards the end of your life where you're like, you repent for yeah, all of your indulgences, essentially. And you're like, oh, I, I've been such a terrible person, having such fun all of my life, and now, now I should be very dour and sad about the fact that I you did know, that. Actually, what I'm thinking... So, I mean, obviously, I read when she said... I, she doesn't like Carol. We don't know if she's jealous or a bigot. I read that as her as her suggesting that she was homophobic, but it could also be her suggesting that she's racist, which I hadn't really thought of. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's especially true, because actually. she is the only character of color that we really see. Yeah, um, um, that's true. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I don't know. Yeah, I, I well, I, I think I went a bit in a bit too hard on that trope there in terms. Of, but in terms of this film, I think it works because it's kind of like I think that it's meant to be that Maud. Um, had a party, hedonistic lifestyle, going out with the gals, drinking, well, I, it, the mild, normal people stuff, not even hedonistic. Um, and um, and the, as a result, or during that, she then had an accident that caused the death of a patient, and it made her sort of see God, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, she then sees it as her mission to sort of save Amanda. Um, so it's not... Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the, the distinction there is that did it make her see God or did it make her seek God and in that way also seek some sort of broader purpose yeah, that yeah, she yeah. could, as part of her atonement? Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I guess it's sort of playing with the idea of sin and repentance, the, the whole thing. Um, it's weird because it is quite tropey, but it's also quite interesting. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think it plays with sort of the tropes a little bit. Yeah. Um, shall we do the awards? Well, sure thing, hun. I'll let you lead. Oh, I'd love that. Thank okay. you very much. Who was your best... No, lead the song. Oh, the song for the awards. <laughs> the awards song. song. <coughs> <coughs> oh, I can't go Some words to be there's honest. no words. Okay, it fine. Was, it was straight Instrumental. from God. 
Um, <laughs> and he doesn't speak in a language that I understand. Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Foul Welsh. I know we have at least one. Two of you, wow. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, so... So yeah, so uh, uh, we've done that now. Um, <laughs> I can tick that off the list. Tick that off the to do. Um, <laughs> so now, now we do the the awards. So who was your best character? I had two best characters. Go on. Um, one was the uh, the fiddler on the roof. <laughs> which oh, yeah. is, uh, she walked past a man and sat on a roof playing a violin. <laughs> I like that, but. Now that I know more about her backstory, also Nancy. No, no, Nancy still, still seals the show. She's she's an icon. She really um, is. She better she she better go on to big things. She better work. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have a spoopiest bit? Yes. So when she is leaving Amanda's after killing her, that moment where her mouth goes really big, oh. um, and she's got blood on her, and she looks a bit sort of harrowed, as you would. Yeah. Um, yeah, the mouth bit I found quite startling. Ah, I mean, like uh, my my spoop bit was more of like a shock spoop. Was um, when she's having sex with the man and his chest explodes. Oh yeah, um, that took me by surprise. Yeah, <laughs> especially because this wasn't a ju- it's not a jumpy film. No, um, and it was just like whoa, um, yeah, <laughs> whoa. Uh, whoa, whoa, bro. <laughs> 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 um, what was um, your lol's bit? I have two lols bits He's as well. very generous with the categories this Thank day. you. Well, not so much with the pumpkins, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, two bits that made me laugh out loud. One was where uh, the old nurse said that she was just a bit of a cunt. Yes. <laughs> but I just find it so refreshing to hear that word in a film. Uh, and the other bit was when she vomited all over the table. <laughs> oh yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> Um, my lol's bit was just her just generally trying to get rid of joy from the house <laughs> but she was just anyway gotta, gotta go she's like she's preparing to go and do a murder and she's just like joy's flitting around going oh this is nice what's this <laughs> so, yeah I think the whole joy scene was one of the best uh, what was your best death uh, the best death was hers at the end yes I agree um, there um, were only two deaths weren't there yeah yeah that we saw yeah yeah, yeah. that's right so yeah hers, hers was really iconic I thought it for me, it, it I, it's it's funny actually because I didn't really enjoy the film that much when I was watching it. There were moments I liked in it, but I thought it was a bit of a slog, um, and I thought it was trying a bit too hard to be like beautiful. Mm. Um, and but that bit really kind of saved the film for me. The end, sort of, uh, from her, from the, from Amanda turning into a devil until the end, I thought was good. Yeah, and I thought if it was a really super strong film from start to finish that that beach scene could potentially have potential to be like a really iconic horror scene. Yes. But I think it, it, it misses out because the rest of the film isn't brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah, agreed. I mean, like just, the, just the kind of that just split second of seeing her actually in like agonizing pain with yeah. the flames, just like bon appetit. Yeah. And especially because it's not just like a woman on fire. It's like, she's practically skull. Yeah. Like it, it's like really quite kind of visceral. It's great. Yeah. Um, so the worst death is Amanda's. Yeah. I think it's like weirdly anticlimactic as well. Like there's not really a battle. She just kind of like pushes her against the room and then she just kind of like comes back and stabs her to death. Yeah. And you, you saying that earlier made me think that maybe it's very intentional and it shows that she has actually just killed a terminally ill woman. It's not, she hasn't yeah. had a fight with the devil. She's yeah. just stabbed a, a, a 
a, an older dying woman to Exactly. Death. And it's weird because the moment, like, you see her dead in that scene, she does look frail and tiny again. Like, the moment she's, like, you know, all stabbed to death with scissors yeah. poking out of her. And I wonder if that's supposed to make us believe that maybe she killed the first woman intentionally as well, thinking that she was um, the devil. Yeah, possibly. Because actually, yeah, because she sees uh, Nancy then as well, and that's obviously meant to be when God mm. visits her or speaks to her. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, this is another film like The Babadook, which is just about a woman who is <laughs> mentally ill, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, or very of faith. Or an angel. <laughs> an absolute angel <laughs> from heaven, as you like to say. I do like to say. <laughs> um... The uh, queerest moment? It's hard to pick out, um, because it's obviously very explicit queer representation. Um, there's so many bits... My favourite bit, actually, which is quite subtle, is the, the bit where they're, like... Um, like, uh, more just having her, like, uh, go- ghost orgasm, her, her god orgasm, and on, on the sofa next to um, Amanda, Amanda joins in, and there's, like, a very weird, like, sort of close-up shot of them nearly holding hands and touching hands and I thought that was quite kind of unusual and queer um but I mean like there is more explicit versions yeah I, I so I put down that bit I think that bit, uh, really? I, yeah I think in general the kind of tension between Amanda and Maud is more interestingly queer than any of the explicit lesbian stuff yeah and the other bit that's similar to that is when she's doing the like physio stretches yeah and like I mean there's something quite kind of sexual about those positions anyway but like just the closeness of their face and the kind of intimacy of like her grabbing her necklace and stuff I think there's yeah there's kind of an underlying like um what is this relationship sort of question going on yeah exactly yeah um and to the finally sexiest character. I have two. Do you? I have two. Go on. Um, I think the random guy that she gives a handy J to. Um, <laughs> he's he's fit. Um, I'd love to wipe this semen off my hands with a dirty dish rag. <laughs> um, and I think Carol is quite fit. She's my other one. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. I thought you were going to say Nancy. <laughs> Nancy, the sexy girl. I, just, I just love her shiny shell. <laughs> uh, yeah, she she dresses iconically. Like when she turns up in that little green like top, mm. like at the party, the uh, more's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit. Yeah, yeah, she's a beaut. Yeah, um, I can see why uh, Amanda pays for her services. Yes, she she's fun and beautiful. Yes. Shall we do pumpkins? Of course, pumpkins. Uh, will I go first? Yeah. I am going to give this a three point five. Whoa! <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I think that's super generous. Oh. Um. Yeah, I. I don't. I'm a bit conflicted about this because heading into this, I was like, "This is a two pumpkin film," uh, but I've upgraded it to two point five. Yeah. But yeah, I, so I think my my overall feeling of it was. It was a very, like, sparse and beautiful film, even if sometimes it was a little bit too consciously beautiful. Like, um, I'm an indie filmmaker. This is my first film. Yeah. Um, It was a very film festival film. Um, Yeah, and I think in that respect, actually, I probably would have enjoyed it more in a cinema setting, actually. Yeah, same. Um, And I probably would have enjoyed it more, probably even. Um, But... Yeah, I, I think I think it, it has taken the the problem for me as well is that I've I've actually upped it quite a bit post watching it 
through the research and talking about it, just because I think that it's it's interesting. I think I think it's also nice to have a horror film with queer represent like explicit queer representation in it. I th- I think I think it was really like thought provoking, and I think it was engaging. But there were times when I didn't find it very interesting to watch. I didn't find it an enjoyable watch uh, consistently. That's what I was going to say. Sorry, is that I yeah I went into it um, because I'd seen all these reviews like saying, so scary, best horror film of the year, you know, like, must watch, spine tingling, blah, 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 that I expected it to be like a, like a horror romp, mm. and it really isn't, it's like very sort of slow paced, like, halfway through I was like actually worried that I'd chosen a film that wasn't actually a horror. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I was just like, wait a second, this is this just some kind of like sort of drama, or like, Yeah, you know, it's been very cleverly marketed as more of a horror than it is, because the trailer suggests it's more horror than it is. Yeah. Um, I think it I mean I would say it's a horror but it's a very understated horror absolutely but the um, yeah I don't know it, it, it reminds me and there will be some big horror fans who will take umbrage to this but umbrage. it reminds me a little bit of how I feel about The Witch and also The Lighthouse was it called The Lighthouse oh yeah where it's like I get it you're making a beautiful art film but it's not good, is it? Like, it's not... <laughs> oh, I wish you hadn't said it, because I agree, and now everyone's going to hate us. <laughs> <laughs> the Witch is one of the most overrated horror films. Oh, no, don't go in on The Witch. Everyone, we've had requests to do The Witch. We've been obsessed with it. I mean, maybe I need to watch it again, but it was, uh, it left me very cold. And especially because, like, the witch trials, like, I'm obsessed with that kind of period of history. Like, I, um, but it's, I I think there's something about a film, like, there's one thing watching a film being like, this is a beautifully shot film, everything about this is beautiful. And if you think about something like uh, Midsummer, that does that. Yeah. But there are some films where you watch where it's just like, this person is trying to make an arty horror film because they don't think horror is a strong enough genre in itself. And I and I resent that a little bit. It doesn't yeah. have to look like a, a, a gritty, indie kind of film for film it's, for it to be a good film. It's interesting, actually, because um, there was like a throwaway comment in one of the interviews uh, with the director where she was like saying that actually horror is the... the, the like it's quite often people's first film because it's the easiest to get funded. Um, and I wonder whether she did have a little sort of disdain towards it being a horror herself. Um, Interesting. Do you think that's because they like they just do well at, in cinemas because people want to go and watch a scary film? Yeah, I guess so. I, I don't know. I think, I think genre films in general are seen as throwaway, but I think horror is definitely the top of that list, and I find it... Because I also think you can make... And maybe you will disagree with this, but you can make a pretentious art house horror film that is still really really dark and scary and Antichrist by Lars von Trier is a good example you know you don't like it oh do no I haven't watched it because um, I know I, I know one of the, the gruesome scenes and I just don't yeah. want to see that yeah. I don't want to see that <laughs> no. um, I love it but I, I love Lars von Trier films even though he's very problematic but um, but yeah I don't know I, I just I don't like I don't like it feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm watching a film that's been filmed by a filmmaker do you know what I mean yeah, I did. It's funny because, like, I think I wish that I'd gone in with less expectations, essentially. Same. And and I I, like, I feel like because I've heard people talk about the tension that runs through the beginning of the film, and I didn't feel that. And I think it's because I was waiting for some scare jumps or horror. And I think had I not known even that it was, I mean, it'd be ridiculous for us to to review it, not knowing it was a horror in the first place. We just review every film just in case it's a horror. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> you watch a hundred films a day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Stumble across a horror. Um, no, he's just, just going in alphabetical order through IMDb in the hopes that one day we might stumble upon a horror. Um, but like, even just like not that explains to why we did the New Mutants. <laughs> oh, you were the New Mutants. Can't wait for you to choose a stupid film. Um, anyway, um, but. Like, had I not even known this was meant to be a horror, I think that that would have added to it in a way. Like, but you, but in in the in the trailers, don't they make the connection to Hereditary in Midsummer? Um, it's I mean, like it being distributed by um that company A twenty four is like a but, thing because distributors don't have anything to do with the making of a film, do they? they no, just they pick it. they pick the film. It's like a, it's like a record label for yeah. the bands or whatever. Um, so. So yeah, it kind of speaks highly of it that it was selected by A24. Um, yeah, like, and so I kind of expected it to be a bit more like Midsummer or Hereditary. Mm. But the other thing, I, I wonder if this is a thing about specifically British films as well. Like, do they all have to be through that sort of like kind of bluey grey sort of tinge <laughs> and all look all be really naturalistic and look like this is England and like That's you know so like funny you say of... that because it just reminds me of the opposite the off side which is like you know the trope on like TV shows where they go to like uh, Egypt or something and they make everything orange Sepia. yeah 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 yeah, yeah it <laughs> is, it is like that true. it's like um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, like, I think British films can be, like, kind of a bit... Like, if anything, I, I don't think every film should be, like, schlocky and campy. I think there is a place for, like, understated horror, absolutely. But, like, I think if any film could have done with just being turned up a little notch to play on that campiness a little bit more, it would have been that. And I think campiness makes things scarier. Yeah. Because it, it it's offset. Like, if something is unrelentingly bleak from the start... We're not that horrified when we see something horrifying because the trauma that she's already living through is hor- horrifying in its own kind yeah, of way. I agree because, like, even the kind of like the sort of metaphysical or supernatural things where it's like the swirling beers and the kind of like they're not scary; they're just kind of odd. Um, yeah, it's 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 unusual. It's yeah. and also I said this to you after we watched it actually, but the other thing it reminded me of was that is it called Personal Shopper? With, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, with that sexy Taste one, you. yeah, um, that was uh, that was on at the in the horror strand of the London Film Festival when we saw it, wasn't it? And yeah. it it has a, a ghost in it, but that is like an uh, that is a film that is very like kind of art housey, like uh, kind of stylized, very beautiful. But I loved that film yeah, because it was good. I don't know, there was just something a bit more to it. Like it wasn't re- it wasn't leaning too heavily on being like someone trying to make a, a point that they can make a good film with their film. Mm. It was just a really good story, really understated, really beautifully acted. And this film had some of that as well, but I just think it didn't quite land for me. Yeah. But 2.5 is is the, is the pumpkins I've settled on. Is the pumpkins. Is the pumpkins. Um, yeah, fair. Good. Great. Fine. Let's have a party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a pumpkin party. <laughs> Oh no! Um, although I think I could more fairly call this the interesting bit because <laughs> it's oh. not that spoofy. I'm scared anyway. <laughs> so, um, for those of you who'd like to get to know me a little more, I don't. 
<laughs> um, I, like Rosebud, was raised Catholic. <laughs> um, yeah, her name's not actually Rosebud. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's Rose Galas. Galas. <laughs> um, so, uh, being raised Catholic, there was lots of chat about angels. In you my say family. anal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were a horny bunch. <laughs> Um, about angels. So I thought, angels. given the angelic moans in the film, I talk about angels. And through it all... <laughs> no. <laughs> they, they offer me... A lot of affection. Anyway, this is going to take days. Um, so, um, I, I am not a believer, but I do <gasps> find... Catholicism and religion in general very fascinating but um the um so angels are supposed to be formless and wingless beings um who occasionally take on the forms of humans mm-hmm. and they do god's bidding um and uh one example from the bible is uh forced one of them forced uh Moses' mother to circumcise him with a jagged rock oh, um, wow. yeah. um so they're supposed to be good and pure um but they have free will, so they don't always obey God. No, um, and the logic that theologians have uh, come up with for justifying that, because God is only supposed to create good things, is that if it has free will, then it has the capacity to choose to be evil, even though it's ultimately a good thing. Right. Um, so the Satan is the most obvious, or Satan or Lucifer is the most obvious example of a fallen angel. Naughty angel. Yes, and uh, one of the many theories as to why he fell... Uh, was because uh, his last straw um, for tolerating <laughs> God's nonsense was when God decided to send Jesus to save the humans. Uh, Satan objected and then fell. Um, the uh, So a, a chap called Father Giroff, or Giroff says, uh, I've heard a little funny thing about... Um, about what Catholics believe about angels. And he said that uh, it's incorrect to say that uh, when people die, they become angels, even though it's well-meaning. He says, and this is a quote, we don't turn into an angel. Let me remind you that Jesus Christ suffered and died to save us, not the angels. God. God. <laughs> um, I like the kind of, because that would be weird. That's if we became ridiculous. angels. <laughs> I draw the line of people becoming right. angels. That's just silly. Um, so uh, when I was growing up, a, a book was passed around our family. Um, guide to Anals. <laughs> guide to Anals. Uh, about guardian anals. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I vaguely remember one story, and I, I saw it again on the internet while I was researching um, the 1960s internet. Um, <laughs> so I think it's actually a bit of an urban legend, but it's about, it's something along the lines of, there's a woman who is walking down, and there are variations of this, but like she's walking alone down a scary looking back alley, and then there's some sort of like generic... It's kind of a bad-looking man. Oh, no. Ne'er do well. And she's really scared, and she wonders whether she should turn around um, and instead of like walking past him alone at night. But she goes for it anyway, and he steps back as she walks past and doesn't... And then he ends up attacking another woman or something, and he's arrested, and the police figure out that it was him that, that she'd also said. He looked a bit dodgy. And she, they ask why she didn't attack why he didn't attack her, and he said because he had two. Uh, she, she had a man on either side of her, walking with her, with her hands on her shoulders. Oh, um, and they were like her guardian angels that she didn't know were there, so they were like protecting her. Wow. <clears throat> um, and there's lots of stories of a similar ilk. Um, 
there are lots of accounts of guardian angels saving people in general, um, oh. saving them from accidents. I've got a funny guardian <clears throat> angel. My mum believes in guardian angels, and uh, she says, like, she asks... Did she it, say, through it all? She threw it all. Well, for me, protection. No, she, like, asks the guardian angel for things like car parking spots. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really mundane sort of administrative yeah. angel. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Um, the, uh, so there are other stories about uh, angels saving people from accidents, um, invisible arms catching people as they fall, oh. um, uh, taking on a human form to kind of offer assistance or save people um, in perilous situations. Uh, figures appearing beside beside hospital beds to offer comfort, um, and also quite common um, are voices inside of people's heads that tell them uh, that kind of warn them about something. There was one example of a person who was walking somewhere where they have black mamba snakes, and um, they were about to step into the path of a black mamba snake, and they heard a voice in their head saying, "Stop, stop!" Um, and they looked and they stop. saw and they saw that a snake was like ready to attack. <sighs> So they like very slowly backed off and were saved. Um, wow. So uh, there's one uh, little particular story I'd like to just recount to you. Please do. Okay, so this is from someone from Reddit <clears throat> who says, This is my mother's story. When I was little, we used to live in an old house that was probably close to 100 years old. This is obviously an American person because in America they think in a 100 year old house is <laughs> an old house. Um, anyway, I was sick around three or four years old at the time and sick. Oh, well, it's not very Also, I was sick. Um, also, I don't know if you... Got it, um, my room and my mother's room were right next to each other. And my parents had split up that year, so it was just my mom, uh, is American, my sister and I in the house. She said that while everyone was asleep, she woke up to someone standing right in front of her around eye level with her while she was laying in bed. Beep. So around two and a half feet, I suppose. She said it looked like me, exactly like me, and I was glowing white, but transparent and still. Uh, the someone had long brown hair, which is what I did have. <laughs> and I don't have hair. <laughs> and was wearing a white nightgown. The night that she saw this, I'd been very sick and I wasn't turning around. Weird. After she blinked a few times, the someone disappeared and she got up. Oh, sorry, that's just being haunted by an angel cat. Um, uh, who's having a funny half hour. <laughs> God. Um, <clears throat> uh, so after she blinked a few times, the someone dissolved and she got up to check on me. I had a fever with shivers and was coughing up and almost choking on my own mucus. And then in brackets, ew. Ew. Um, she took me to the hospital right then and the doctor said that if uh, if she hadn't, I probably would have died from choking in my sleep or from how uh, or from how close I was to pneumonia. Uh, my mom loves this story um, and truly believes it was my guardian angel telling her it wasn't my time yet and that I needed her help. So, in Jewish and Christian traditions, um, Satan is the most beautiful of the angels. Stunner. Stunner. Um, And he, uh, when he rebelled, he enticed many others. And apparently I found a statistic of a third of the angel population. He sounds Um, fair. Yeah. (laughs) I bet I would have followed him. Um, (laughs) To follow him. Um, In Hindu traditions, um, the creator god, Brahma... Uh, created both good and bad angels for the purpose of balance. Oh. Um, uh, in Islam, uh, fallen angels don't exist. Uh, they're all good angels doing divine work, even those overseeing hell. Oh. And Satan isn't a fallen angel in uh, Islam. He's a jinn. Oh, um, right. It's like a sort of 
demony genie thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so according to the book of Enoch, oh yeah, um, uh, the fall of the angels happened uh, differently. So Enoch seems like a trustworthy source as he uh, lived to the age of three hundred and sixty-five. Oh, ripe! Um, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, not as ripe as his son, who lived into the nine hundreds. Of course, um, yes. Good um, genes. <laughs> great genes. Um, so the angels were destroyed by lust. Um, and so before the great flood, slutty angels. Yes, and they get sluttier. Angels and humans regularly mixed and had sex. <gasps> um, the children resulting from this interbreeding were a race of four hundred and fifty foot tall giants. Might as well. I know. Like, literally, <laughs> no wonder we're all mentally ill. This is our theology. Like this is our theology. Um, the, so uh, the angel parents would then. Uh, teach their giant babies <laughs> their evil ways. Uh, so God imprisoned them, and one of the reasons that he sent the Great Flood uh, was to press a hard reset of what had clearly gone very, very wrong. Oh, so it was before the Ark? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, and apparently Enoch uh, was Noah's great-grandson. Okay. Um, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> Rumour has it. Rumour has it. And presumably he was still living while <laughs> Noah was alive, yes. because he was 365. Um, and apparently Enoch was the go-between between, between uh, f- relaying messages from God to the fallen angels. Um, so fallen angels are known to tempt humans rather than protect them. Um, the most well-known of these being called Gadriel. Do you know who Gadriel is? No. Um, so Gadriel is the one that was responsible for tempting Eve with the apple. Delicious. Delicious apple. Granny Smith. Um, <laughs> you won't believe it. It's a Granny Smith. <laughs> um, although he does appear as a sna- in the form of a snake. Uh, and that's often uh, mistaken as being Satan as a snake. But thought, yeah, it's so likely it that most of the stories of fallen angels are just amalgam- amalgamated into the figure of Satan. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, but most of them are like named um, individuals with their own autonomy. Um, so... Um, Angels aren't really clearly described in the Bible, physically, um, and our contemporary ideas of them uh, come from artists, writers, and popular culture, sure. um, much like Santa Claus, um, yes. and uh, Coca-Cola did actually give the angels wings. Did um, they? I should have said Red Bull, that would have been funny. <laughs> um, but Santa Claus reference. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, it's hard to side with God and the good angels <laughs> when you hear... <laughs> That's what I always say. That's what I was, when you hear um, what uh, theologians believe led to fallen angels, and this is actually quite sad. Um, so, trigger warning, sad. Um, hang on a minute. So, this is from grunge.com. The existence of fallen angels has presented theologians with some serious problems. Namely, how could they even exist? Since God created everything... Uh, that also meant God had created something evil or with the capacity to be evil. And that just wasn't going to fly with most Christian scholars. The implications of that were terrifying, so there had to be another explanation. Um, So until the 12th century, pride was the typical answer as to why fallen angels fell. But that meant God would have had to create something with a crippling, all-powerful amount of pride, and that didn't fly. I like saying that didn't fly. Uh, That didn't fly. And that also didn't fly. I'll tell you what else didn't fly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So scholars came up with the idea that angels had been created with a natural love that allowed them to love God, themselves, and each other. Part of that love was involuntary, the other part was voluntary. That voluntary love was further divided into the idea of friendship and the idea that some love exists because it makes someone happy. It was further argued that angels uh, 
love of God was the involuntary kind, and all that was fine. Until, that is, one angel realised that he loved God because God made him powerful, and that made it voluntary. Once that angel, Lucifer, realised how nice it was to love and be loved for selfish pleasure instead of simply for love's sake, well, that's when all the problems started. Um, And then it goes on. Um, And the title of this next bit is After Lucifer, the the other angels fell because they were lonely. Oh, I know. So the idea that Lucifer kicked off the fall of the angels before he started experiencing love for a selfish reason is all well and good, and it kind of makes sense. It's another side of the pride coin, but a twisted, dark, selfish love. That's something most people can under- understand. That may have made it possible for that Lucifer to fall, but what about the other angels that went with him? That presented another theological problem, because the other angels just weren't on the same level of, as Lucifer, God's most beautiful creation. Scholars thought it was a little unbelievable that lesser angels... Scholars thought... I know, it's, it's funny, nonsense, the, isn't it? All I can think of is like, like scriptwriters rather than scholars. Yeah, like, exactly. Wait, this is a plot hole. Can we just like, yeah. workshop some uh, ideas Yeah, here? and also, <laughs> we've got some sources to suggest all of this. Uh, this is rigorous historical research here. Um, so, uh, they thought it was unbelievable that lesser angels could possibly love in the same way. So, what's up with that? The explanation is actually pretty heartbreaking. The theory developed by these thinkers of the Middle Ages say those angels fell not because they hated God, but because they loved Lucifer. God was largely an absent, distant figure after all, and Lucifer was their friend. Rather than condemning themselves to struggle for the acceptance of the unreachable father, perhaps they followed their brother into exile. Oh, I know. Isn't God a dick? God is a <laughs> He's dick. He's like an absent father figure. He is. <laughs> um, so then, it, the, the, I won't read on, but it goes on to say that um, uh, that fallen angels, who are kind of considered the most evil of all things, um, have be, have been used to justify homophobia because they were known. That it's been argued that they didn't act in love; they acted in lust. And the figures, the um, Although angels are said to be genderless, they they often take on the male form in how they're being portrayed, and they always uh, that the the kind of focus of their like sexual love was always women. So the line is kind of like even angels weren't gay. <laughs> <laughs> like um, so, so yes, these lonely, sad, very relatable <laughs> to many queers angels um, have been used to denounce us. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I thought that um, in uh, one of my favourite spots, Sodom and Gomorrah, mm. um, the, the angels are fucking men there, actually, but maybe not like the fallen angels, and maybe I've got that wrong, maybe it was just men fucking men. Well, the thing is, though, sodomy was originally used as a word to describe general debauchery. It was never specifically yeah. about, like, anal sex. Um, I so it, I think in uh, in Sodom, there was general debauchery. Yeah. So a bit of angel fucking, bit of evil guy <laughs> babies, <laughs> bit of gays. <laughs> um, so, yes, thank you for joining us on Christian Hour. Um, to learn more about I'm angels, follow Christian my blog, angels. Uh, also, a um, final note from me, Hail Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Bloody Mary's Podcast, and that's Mary's with a Z. And thanks for our theme tune from uh, The Pink Pound. Uh, you can follow them at The Pink Pound Sound. And if you're enjoying Bloody Mary's, please like, subscribe, and share with all your friends.